never unclear. I don't think I'm on. Am I on? Am I on? Okay, I'm on. All right. Uh, I'm excited about the next two weeks. Here's why. If you're ever unclear, sometimes I think we, we cast this light of like lack of clarity around what it means to be a believer. I know that sometimes the thing that I think is sometimes helpful, you know, like with the Catholic Church, is you're like, here are the 84 things I need to do to be a good Catholic, you know? And it's like a monster big list, but you know from the time you're born, you got a step, and then you got another step, and another step, and like you know exactly, they paint the picture real clear of what you got to do. But here, sometimes it's like a lot more fluid. And, uh, and you're like, well, i got to, you know, get to church on Sunday and do the midweek thing when I'm really ready to commit. And uh, so that's like, that's, you know, that's really one big thing. I got to be present. And then maybe I got to get baptized. You know, I'm not exactly sure what all that's about, but that would be a big one. And then I'm pretty sure based on all the things that I say that I got to harass my coworkers until they come to some event, you know, or something like that. You know, like I have, there's like a few different things and then I'll be a really good believer and, and there we go. And that's the Trinity. That's not the Holy Trinity. But that's like the main, that's the trifecta. And then, then I'll be a good believer. But I, what I hope to do over the next two weeks is to just make it incredibly clear about what it means, what exactly I think that Scripture tells you that Jesus wants you to do in order to be the kind of believer that, that he looks on and says, yeah, this is good. This is faithful, you know? Um, so what I want to do today is, is I really want to start at the beginning. Because every relationship, I think I usually preach with this on the right. Do I? I'm struggling today. Okay, here we go. I'm just going to, I'm just going to battle. I'm going to battle through it. Huh? No, no, I think I'm good. Um, but I want to start at the beginning because every good relationship, every relationship that you ever had, every relationship that you have has a beginning. So, so how many of you guys, I, I started to say how many of you guys are in a relationship, but then that's like, oh, if you're not, if you're the one who doesn't raise your hand, you know. <laughs> I don't want to be like, you know, call you out on that. So we're not going to do that. But if you're in a relationship, um, then then it's pretty interesting. You know, everybody probably started in some kind of different way. Started thinking about all the different ways that relationships have started, like dating relationships and that kind of thing over the years. So, so I realized I think there are a few different ones. I did a Google search. I got some weird results. I think I covered most of them. So a long time ago, this is how dating relationships or relationships usually started. Somebody said, here are, here are eight cows, and I'd like for my daughter to marry your son. So that's how a lot of it started. You know, you offered something to someone, and then, and then that's how they started. Then a little later, we jumped to, uh, with your permission, I'd like to court your daughter. So somebody had to come ask a dad. That one was a little worse because the girl's dad still has to pay for the wedding, but now he doesn't totally get to say who, who the person is. That's my biggest fear. You, know? you want me to pay for you to marry this guy. Not a chance. Um, so then there was that one. And then I think fast forward a little bit, and people were still cordial, and people would say, uh, want to go steady. Anybody do that? You want to go steady? And that one lasted for a long time. Some people started that way. Then there was a check yes or no. I don't know if you might did check yes or no. Somebody, uh, this is pretty interesting, when I was in the fourth grade or third grade or something, somebody passed me one of those check yes or no, I was a real winner back then, passed me one of those letters, and they passed it to Jess, who passed it to me. How about that? So that was, that was pretty interesting. Um, so then there was that. There was this one, there was, you've got mail. Anybody start a relationship that way? No, that's just dating yourself. So then there was, you've got mail. 
Then there was, this is how Jess and I actually got started. Uh, then there was AOL Instant Messenger. Yeah. We went to school together, but we didn't talk much there. But Instant Message, that's how we got connected. And I remember you get on Instant Message, and you'd be like, she'd be messaging. And then I'd be like, Dad, don't pick up the phone. And then he'd pick up the phone, you know, and it'd disconnect you. And then bonk, 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 you know, like 10 minutes later, you could get back online. So there was that. Then a little later, there was texting. You know, everybody started texting, and that's how you first started talking. And there's like the, the like and the thumbs up and the heart emoji and the face with hearts emoji. And, the, and then there's like a face with hearts in the middle emoji. And then there's, you know, all the, those, those different kind of things. And then the one my students do with each other, I can't even say this with a straight face, but they say, um, they say hit me up on the ground. Hit me up on the ground. Look, I'm sorry. I, you know, I just can't say it with real authenticity, you know. But that's how they do it. Anytime they say, uh, they say that to me, I say, Graham, like graham cracker? No, I don't have any snacks. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty good one. But uh, relationships start all different kind of ways. The point is, when you tell a story about how your relationship started, like, there's a definitive starting point. And it's not like it's just always been happening. You can say, this is how we got started. I'm not exactly sure when we were official, but this is kind of how it got started. In Acts chapter 8, so we're jumping to Acts chapter 8 today, and you're like, how are you going to tie that to Scripture? I'm going to get there. But in Acts chapter 8, you got this guy, his name's Philip. Philip's one of the very first deacons in the church. So Philip uh, meets this Ethiopian, and you get to see, it's pretty neat, because you get to see firsthand when this Ethiopian begins his relationship with Jesus. You get to see the very starting point. It's really clear. And you get to see exactly what that looks like. So give you a little background. Uh, Acts chapter 8, it's still early on. Paul is still named Saul. So we talk about Paul all the time. But at this point, he's, he's still named Saul. He's not a Christian yet. In fact, at the beginning of chapter 8, if you get your Bible up and you go to the beginning, you see Paul is holding the coats for a whole bunch of people who are, who are stoning Stephen, who becomes the first Christian martyr. So Paul is still Saul, and he's literally going around killing Christians. So it's still, pretty, it's still pretty early on. It's early on, but people are coming to Jesus. They're, people are coming to faith in Jesus in, in like droves, thousands of people. Can you imagine in our city just, just Christianity being the buzz of the entire town? And tons and tons of people, just all, it's like somebody you know every day is coming to work saying, I became a believer this weekend, I just got baptized. And so in the city, that's what it's like right now. And it's a scary time because there's a lot of persecution, but it's also an incredibly exciting time to be a believer. So that's what you got in Acts chapter 8. We pick up in verse 26. Acts eight twenty-six. it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. I'm sorry if this drives you nuts, but I'm going to jump in and out, okay? Um... But so, this is what the angel says. The angel says, I want you to leave the city, and I want you to go to nowhere. I want you to go to nowhere. The city, all kind of exciting things are happening in the city right now, but I want you to leave there, and I want you to go to nowhere. To me, it's like saying, I want you to go from New Orleans to, like, like Golden Meadow. You know? I want you to go. You're not going fishing. (laughs) 
So now you're like, what do you do in Golden Meadow if you're not going fishing? I mean, you know, just really, I want you to go to nowhere. I want you to go. This was literally this place where he tells him to go, 165 miles. I want you to go, and by the way, he's walking. I mean, this is a long, long trip. This is not a small go-do-this-thing. This is a really, really long trip. He says, go all the way to Gaza. And here's who's in Gaza. It's the home of the Samaritans. So right now we're in Jerusalem, and there are a whole lot of Jews who are coming to faith in Christ. And, and that's exciting because I know those people, and I'm a lot like those people. But then he says, leave all the people you know and go all the way to this place where you don't really know many people. Walk it. That's what I'm asking you to do. So what does he do? Verse 27. So he started out. And on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kondike. Um, Kondike means queen of the Ethiopians. I think that word may be Candace, but I'm not a, I don't want to just call it Candace because that's like a modern name. But I think it's Candace. But what that, I think that's a title for, for like the queen of Ethiopia. So this guy is the, is the money guy. He handles the treasury for all of Ethiopia, which was a huge space. By the way, bonus here, he's called the Ethiopian eunuch because a eunuch, big gulp here, <laughs> a eunuch is someone who's been castrated, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, he worked near the queen, and so I did a lot of research on this. Um, apparently, if you worked very closely with the queen, I didn't want you getting any ideas, and so, um, so that's why he had to become a eunuch. So anyway, there's a guy, Ethiopian eunuch, interesting thing. And it says, this man had gone down to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. This, this is kind of interesting to me. You know what it reminds me of? This is what came to my mind. You know Force Gump, where Force is like running, and the guy kind of runs up and he's struggling to keep up, and he's like, hey, why are you running? You know? And this is a picture. He's like, he's just running up to this guy, and, uh, and he's like, you know, hey, what are you reading? You know, and the guy's up in this big thing, you know, he's being carried by like four other people, and he's on a, like a big throne looking thing. And he's like, hey, what are you reading? And uh, do you understand what you're reading? And he's just asking him these questions as the guy's kind of being carried. But I want you to catch this huge truth right there in that passage. This Ethiopian eunuch is a really important guy. But he travels down to Jerusalem um, because he's looking for something. And he's got this feeling that, you just got to feel like he's got this feeling like there's got to be more to life than, than, than this. And he's an important guy and has a really important job, but he's just, something is missing. And so he goes to Jerusalem. He's not a Christian, right? Not a follower of Jesus. But undoubtedly he's heard about all these things that are happening. And so he goes there to worship. And what's interesting is that he doesn't find it. But in the way that, that our good God does, when you cannot find him, he comes and finds you. Or he does some incredible thing to come seek you out. And sometimes it begins with him putting some questions in your mind. And maybe you didn't even know that the questions that are in your mind about your faith were actually him, but the questions get you asking, and sometimes the questions get you moving, and sometimes they get you moving to church, or sometimes they get you moving into conversations at work. But the, the questions get you moving. And then he puts somebody into your life who says, Hey, do you get that? Or, Hey, can I explain that to you? 
And sometimes that gets to be me. Sometimes it, it may be you. But he brings somebody alongside of this person who's seeking, who says, can I explain to you what I think you want to know? And then in verse 31, the guy basically says, I don't get it. He says, do you understand it? Verse 31, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Interestingly, this guy's being carried by four people. So even if this is the time where he, he certainly will remember this as the time that he comes to know Jesus. And I bet the four people that are carrying him will also remember <laughs> this is the time. Because this is the time that their backs, you know, gave out. Um, verse 32. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and, a lamb bef- and, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. He's reading Isaiah. This is a prophecy, and it's talking about the coming Messiah. So this is written like 800 years before Jesus. But look how clearly it describes exactly what happened to Jesus. He stands before Pilate. He's totally silent. Right? It's describing the coming Messiah. And in verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, said, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Amen. And this is why Philip gets sent to nowhere. And Philip has no idea why he's supposed to leave where all the work is happening and all the great stuff is happening to, to walk 165 miles to nowhere, but now he knows. And it's to tell this guy about the good news of Jesus. By the way, we, we learned from a, um, a church historian that this guy goes back to Ethiopia and starts the first church in Ethiopia. But he tells this guy the good news of Jesus, tells him that, that we've sinned and that sin has to be punished because there is a great and just God in the universe. So things do get punished, sin gets punished but that Jesus already took that punishment. And like a bunch of people who have done things wrong, and, and maybe you know if you did something wrong and you deserve jail, then you go stand before a judge and he says that you're guilty, but then he says, but you know what? Somebody already came and served your sentence. And so even though you're guilty, you get to go free. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so it's like Philip says tells this guy the story, tells him the gospel. And it's like he's saying, you thought there was something out there, and there absolutely is. And the thing you're looking for is Jesus. And he's the yearning and the searching and the pull in your heart, and you follow him by surrendering to him. And you don't have to do anything. That's the thing. And that's, that's what I just want to say so clearly is, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to attend everything. You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to invite your co-workers. You don't have to do any of that to become a follower of Jesus. You just accept Him. If you've ever wondered about a way to sort of describe this, I heard it said like this, it made a lot of sense. If you're going to go in an ambulance, you don't have to do anything. Sometimes, sometimes they immobilize you. You can't do anything. You don't have to do anything, but what you do have to do is you have to consent. You have to consent to the ride, and then they do all the work. And following Jesus is, is similar. You're not doing any other work. You're just saying yes. And you're just saying yes to Jesus, and you accept Him. And so the Ethiopian says yes to Jesus. 
accepts this free offer of salvation, makes Jesus the Lord of his life. And the last part of the passage that we'll read, verse 36. And so as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the river, and Philip baptized him. I mean, what a cool story. Uh, by the way, the end of the story, I won't read it, but this is pretty interesting. So Philip is, is prepared to go on this really long walk all the way. And it says, after they came up out of the water, it says, Philip disappeared. And then that was it. That was the end of the story. Philip disappeared. It's the only case of, of tra- teleportation in the Bible. And Philip is just totally gone. And the Ethi- it doesn't say, and the Ethiopian eunuch was scared to death because that had never happened to him before. <laughs> no, it says he just goes back home and he's so happy because he recognized something supernatural just happened in his life. And so he's okay that a second supernatural thing also just happened right in front of him. And, and Philip was probably like, thank God I don't have to walk another 165 miles all the way back. So that was a pretty cool thing for him. But I want you to catch two things in this story, two, two crucial things. As we talk about, you know, and we're talking, the name of this series is Going Public, and the idea is not being so secretive about our faith and, and, actually, and actually knowing what it means to live it out. Two things in this story, and one is that the Ethiopian's relationship with Jesus began at a particular point in time. The Ethiopian's relationship with Jesus began at this point, at this particular point in time. Sometimes I ask people if they're a Christian. I used to ask people if they're a Christian, and then, and then most people say yes, and then, and then some people say absolutely not, but, but it's a simple question. And so then, because I sensed that a lot of people who weren't Christians were saying yes, that, that I started asking different, and I started saying, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And then you at least get a little bit more of an answer. You know, sometimes you get, oh, well, I've, I've always believed. Sometimes I get that. And sometimes I get, you know, I feel like he's always with me. And sometimes I get, you know, I used to not, but now I kind of do. And those are great answers. They're just not particularly answers to the question of whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus. If you ask me, when was your son born? And I said, I feel like he's always been with me. <laughs> You'd say, what a weird guy you are. If you said about me and my wife, how long have you two been together? And I said, well, we used to not be, but we kind of are now. Like, that'd be a really weird answer. That's not what you're looking for. You're looking for, we met in the third grade, but it really got serious when we started messaging on AOL, Instant Messenger. And that started to tell you all that story. Because our relationship started at a particular point in time. It absolutely had a starting point. I can't tell you the exact date when when Jess and I went from, from friends to dating. We actually set an arbitrary date. And it was March 25th, right? I'm right, okay. The 25th because my birthday is on the 25th and Christmas is on the 25th. And the 25th is like an easy day for me to remember. Um, so March 25th. And we just set that date and we celebrated it for years because neither of us really knew when we sort of like made the transition from one to the other. But what I can tell you definitively is that even though I don't know the exact moment in time, I can tell you that there's a time when we were not dating, and then there's a time when we were dating, and those times are very different. And so even though I don't know precisely the answer to the question, when exactly did you get together, I know that it happened. Because it's still true today. I can't tell you exactly when my relationship with Jesus started, me personally. I can't tell you that. Some people can. Some people had a different experience. But I can't tell you exactly when that started. 
but I can remember a time when I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And, and I was younger, but what I remember distinctly is that, to me, sin and doing things wrong was only about getting caught. If I can commit a sin and my parents or no one else can find out and it doesn't particularly hurt anybody, then I'm really not that worried about it. I'm not worried about it at all. I don't see any problem with that. And my idea towards God was, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm going to church because my, my parents go there and I, I think that's what I should do. Um, and, I, and I don't sin be, because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get in trouble. But outside of that, that's all really religion is to me. And following Jesus, relationship with Jesus, not really a part of it. And then I remember some friends invited me to church and, and I heard the gospel and somewhere over the course of time I came to really believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And somewhere after, after getting that in my mind, I, I gave my life to Him. And it used to bother me that I didn't know exactly when it was. But then I recognized the truth that I didn't know exactly when Jess and I began dating. I didn't know the exact day. But, but not knowing that doesn't make us any less together today. And whenever we made that decision doesn't make that decision any less made. I can't back out now because I can't remember our wedding date. <laughs> and just not remembering those things doesn't make it any less true, doesn't make it any less happen. It doesn't mean it happened any less. It was just a little more fluid for me in my life than maybe it is for some other people. But I wake up each day knowing that I'm married and knowing that we are together and that I am with her and that I gave myself to her. And I also wake up each day knowing that Jesus is the Lord of my life. And it is definitively true of me and that I have accepted Him as my Savior and that I am His and He is mine. And it is completely clear to me. Uh, we're not finished here, so don't start packing up, all right? I know when I get to this tone, you start packing up like, oh, we're about to go. Don't get excited yet. I, I want to get to one other key part of this story, but, but I want to I say this. I, I just want to ask, in saying that, and in trying to be really clear about how every relationship has a starting point, I just have to ask, and so many of you I know, and I know your story and I've heard it a lot of times, but I have to ask, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus that, that started and that is very real? Are you al always offering the response, I guess I've always kind of known Jesus. I guess it's always kind of been a part, because that's a, that's a good thing to say, but it doesn't say, yes, I have a relationship with Jesus. Every relationship has a starting point, and that point is when you surrender to Him. Jesus, I believe You are the Savior. I receive Your gift of salvation. That's the starting point. And every relationship has that, and your relationship with Jesus has that. And, and so I just want to ask you just to take just a minute and to bow and to pray your head with me. And, and I said some of those wrong. To bow your head and to pray with me. But I just want to give you the opportunity, if you've never done that, and you'd like to do that, to do that. To say yes to Jesus. And maybe you've been tiptoeing around it for a big part of your life. But as you think about it, you say, no, that's, that's not true of me. I guess if we're really getting honest and really getting serious, and I'm not just saying, surely I do, or I've always been okay with God. If you're not doing that, and you say, you know, I, 
I don't know that I do have a relationship with Jesus. I just want to give you an opportunity to do that. Would you bow your head and pray with me? You guys communicate with Jesus however you want, but um, beginning a relationship with Him can be as simple as praying, Jesus, I believe You are the Savior, and I receive Your gift of salvation. I just want to give you a few seconds so that you pray silently, and then I'll pray for you. Amen. Amen. I, I know sometimes that moment can be a little awkward, and you're like, look, I did this 10 years ago, you know. I mean, I'm just sitting here in silence for a minute. But I, I just, I think sometimes I move so fast. I'm a fast talker. I move through things quickly. But sometimes in the moment when, when you say, you know what, I, I need that. And we pass through that so quickly, like we do every part in life, that sometimes what has kept us from following Jesus is never slowing down long enough to say, Jesus, I give myself to you. I'm hopeful and I'm prayerful and I'm excited at the idea that maybe just then, and maybe not, but maybe some of you had your eternity changed just in that moment. So then in this story, someone gives their life to Jesus. And then a second thing happens. The Ethiopian gives his life to Jesus, and then they see what, what is probably, from what I understand, was probably more like a mud hole, uh, just a big water area. And, and he says, hey, I just did that thing. Can I get baptized right now? And so, so they go down in, in, in and, and Philip says, absolutely, I guess. And they go down into this mud hole and it says they, they go down into it, which, which kind of means, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out exactly what that means. But it looks like he actually go way down into it. So it's not like a sprinkling. They get down into the water and he baptizes them. And what's interesting is every single time someone puts their faith in Christ in the New Testament, then they get baptized. Without exception. Every single time someone puts their faith in Christ, they get baptized immediately after. And every time you talk about baptism, people say a lot of different things. A lot of people say, well, I got baptized as a baby. Boom. Check that one off early. (laughs) Not a procrastinator. I did that. And I get that. And that's great. But being baptized as a baby is a symbol of your parents' faith. And thank God for that. But what it's not is it's not a symbol of your faith. Um, Every time in in Acts, every single time that someone puts their faith in Christ, there are four times where you see someone do this. No, I'm sorry, there are six times. They're in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 16, and Acts chapter 18. And you read every, all six of those, and every single time somebody puts their faith in Christ, they get baptized immediately after. Every time. And you want to know how many times in Scripture that someone baptizes a baby? Zero. Because it just doesn't happen. So we only, 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 only do it this way. We only do it this way because it's the only, only, only way that you ever see it in Scripture. And that's the only reason why. This has nothing to do with personal preference. I don't want to get into a bathtub with grown people. <laughs> it's not because it's my favorite thing. You know, I mean, I like to do it, but not just for fun. And, um, and, and the only way, I just can't say that right, But the only way, the only reason we do it that way is because that's how they do it in Scripture. 
The other thing I hear people say is, it's not that important. You know, you just said you don't have to do it to be saved. So if I can get heaven without doing that part, then I'll take that. And and I think sometimes, when your child was born, did you skip out on the birth? Now, if you're the mom, of course you didn't, right? Um, but, you know, when, when, when my children were born, I mean, the hospital is awful to me. And after the first one, I really didn't want to go for the second one. <laughs> I mean, that's just not a fun part. But, but you know, and I could say, you don't have to go to the hospital to be a dad. I'll be right back here at the house when you guys get here. You know, you don't have to go to the hospital to be a dad. But, man, if you skip that first step, it's, you've got a lot of uphill ground. I mean, you've got a lot of work to do to be a dad now. You're a father immediately, but you've got a lot of work to do to be a dad. Baptism is the very first step in Christian obedience. If you read that what we call the Great Commission in, in, in Matthew, you know, chapter twenty, you read that thing, it says that they come Matthew twenty eight, sorry. You you put your faith in Jesus and then what happens immediately after? Boom, you get baptized. That's what Jesus said. The very first step in Christian obedience is 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 baptism. And if you're failing in the first step, do you really expect to be totally successful from there on out? The other thing I hear people say is, that's inconvenient. It's just inconvenient. And they say it in like a different way, but they're like, you know, I may not be here on the day you bring the baptism, you know, and it's it's cold outside, and we do it outside, and the water's freezing. Ask Sam, it was super cold, right? And, uh, you know, and, and it just doesn't totally, it just doesn't totally work out, you know? And, and so sometimes... That's what people say, you know. And I say, well, don't worry. We'll work it out on a day where it's nice and it's, it's, it's a nice temp and we'll make sure that we work everything out. And you say, oh, I don't really want you to be put out on my account. And, and people really don't get baptized just because it's not incredibly convenient. And what I think is, Jesus spent six hours on a cross naked dying for you. And that was not incredibly convenient. And sometimes we say 60 seconds in a clean pool of water is just something I cannot do. And so I, I don't even I can't even dig further into that because it's it's just kind of a crazy one when we jump into it. The last one I hear most often, and I get it, it's legitimate. I'm just not quite ready for that. I'm just not ready for that. I just started coming here. You know, I just heard that that that's the thing that you want me to do. You know, or, or I I'm not sure if I believe what you're saying. I've got a whole lot of history that says you baptize people when they're babies and not ever again. And now you're saying something different. I just want to dive in, and I hear that one all the time. And what if I I was a new father and I looked at my son and I said, "Son, I love you a lot. I really do." But let's not tell anybody you're my son. <laughs> you're just incredibly embarrassing. And so I love you, I really do, but let's just, let's keep that under wraps. I mean, you get my point? It's like, it's like sometimes we're like, it's a little bit embarrassing to get baptized. You know? and, he, and, you know, I just don't like to be in front of people. Becoming a follower of Jesus is incredible. Your eternity just changed dramatically, and that is a story worth telling. And baptism tells it most clearly. Sometimes I think if... Sometimes we don't want to tell that story because we're still mulling over whether or not we're ready to make that proclamation. I'm not ready to give up some things in my life and really don't want people judging me like, he just got baptized, look at him now. And so I'm, you know, I'm just not ready to, to be so out there about all of it. And, and, and I think sometimes our not wanting to get baptized is our not really wanting to commit. What do people do when you say, I'm getting people together over at my house? They say, I'll see if I can make it. 
we're not all in. We're just not people who love to commit, and sometimes we're that way here too. Um, what would your what if you were engaged and you said to your fiance, "Hey, uh, I love you. I really do, and and I really want to do it. I really want to get married." But just let's do a couple of things. Let's not make it legal. Let's not have a ceremony. And let's not tell anybody we're married. But I'm in. I'm all in. I just, under those three stipulations, I'm all in, but I don't want those three things. And sometimes with Jesus we say, I really don't want to be that closely associated with you, but I want all the good stuff. I just, there's some stuff I don't, I don't know that I'm, that I'm all about. What if I really want to two-time just a little bit? <laughs> I want to kind of serve you and serve myself too. You know, I don't really want to be quite so tied down. And sometimes when we say I'm not ready for it, I fear that sometimes we're telling the total truth. I haven't actually given my life to Jesus. I haven't actually put, my, put myself in His hands and said, God, I am yours. And so we're hesitant to be baptized because we're exactly right about where we are. We haven't really given our life to Jesus. And that's not always the case. Sometimes it's just a challenging faith step, but I think sometimes it absolutely is. So in a minute, uh, I'm going to pray. Obviously, Rob's going to come, we're going to sing a song, and we're going to finish out worship this morning. But if today, if today everything changed for you, I want to celebrate that with you. Uh, we have response cards in the back, and, and you, can, you can fill one of those out. There's a box on there. I meant to read them, but it says something like salvation or something like that. Man, I'd love for you to, to, to put your name on one of those, drop it in the box, and just give me a quick line about your story. You can use those anytime, by the way. You can, you can ask for prayer. You can do that kind of thing. We've got a whole bunch of them printed back there. But I, I'd love for you to do that. You can also come grab me, but if that works better, I just I'd love, I, I want to celebrate that with you. Secondly, maybe you've been a believer for a long time, and uh, but but you you got baptized before you were a believer, and you say, you know what? While while you're stepping on my toes, let me just make the jump and and be faithful and be obedient and do it. And I think you can check that on there as well. And and the opposite of embarrassment. This is what I wish I could just make so clear. The opposite of embarrassment, your church family will be so excited for you. I mean, so excited. It's just the opposite of like, you know, pointing and being like, let's see what he does now. No, it's like, man, I'm so excited. And, and I'm eager and I'm looking forward to walking alongside of you as a brother or sister in Christ. That's the idea. Let me pray. Guy. I pray that I pray that we are all people who have a relationship with you. And if there are any of us who are still just on the edge, I pray that we would just jump over. Say, yes, Jesus. You are the Savior. And I follow you. And just give our lives to you completely. And then immediately be baptized. I pray that we would do that. I pray for a lot of people that aren't here today. That God knows as I'm walking through this and preparing to preach, I'm thinking, man, I wish, I hope all these people are here today. But God, I know that in your divine wisdom, you do things just perfectly. But God, I pray for them as well. 
pray that I might have the boldness to, to say some of this stuff, even outside of preaching on Sunday morning, so that they might give their lives to you and then be baptized. God, I pray that whatever you are pulling, the same way you pulled at that Ethiopian, whatever you're pulling at our hearts for this morning, I pray that we would yield to that and say, God, what do you want me to do? And then be about doing that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's continue.